This morning I'll be reading from Mark 1, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. They can be found in the Bibles placed in the pews on page 882. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We look forward to having many more guests, even this next Sunday. Keep in mind, everybody, invite your families. Invite your neighbors that enjoy thinking about families, and they treasure their families. Invite them to come. Uh, We'll have a guest speaker, Paul Helton, will be speaking for us. Many of you know him. He grew up in the Hermitage congregation. Uh, I went to school with him at Freed Hardeman. He is a counselor. He is a uh, preacher, and he is a wonderful man. And you will be blessed uh, with the lessons, uh, no doubt, that he will present to us next week. And be sure that you invite your family and friends to the event. Uh, There are postcards at the Information Center in the center of the foyer. Uh, You can pick those up. There are also yard signs uh, that if you would pick one of those up and be sure and put it out in your yard today. And let's do everything that we can do to make this day uh, the day that God would want it to be. Let's reach out and promote his plan of family individually. Let's be everything that we can be that God would want us to be within the family. Do sign up. Uh, to bring uh, food. The meal is organized. uh, And so be sure if you're in your Bible classes this morning, there'll be signups there. And then also there's signups in the foyer uh, for that also. Look forward to eating together and visiting together that afternoon. Can you imagine baptizing Jesus? That's just so hard to imagine. You know, there's something special about baptizing individuals, even though there is no emphasis in the scriptures placed upon the one who is doing the baptizing. It is an honor to be a part of it. But even John himself did not believe that he was worthy to baptize Jesus. Jesus had to, in a sense, talk him into it before he would actually do it. You know, when we think about John's baptism in this great series that we're looking at of achieving spiritual greatness this year, we're thinking about how we can become more of what God wants us to be. How can we be successful? How can we achieve that? And what better way to do that than to study the life of Jesus Christ? 
the better we know Christ, the better we can live the life of Christ. And so last week we looked at the ministry and the baptism of John that was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And yet that comes right over into this morning's topic as we think about the baptism of Jesus and then him going into the wilderness to be tempted. You see, it was Jesus that came to John seeking to be baptized. And if you'll notice in the text that we were reading there in Mark 1, back up just a few verses to the fourth and fifth verse and note again about John's baptism. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This was a time of transition. The very next thing that would be introduced would be Christianity. And what God wanted this prophet that was a forerunner of Jesus Christ to do was to proclaim a turning back to God. Those who were faithful Jews, he wanted to introduce them to the Messiah. Those who had lost the way and they were no longer living the life that they should live. He was calling them back to repent. As a matter of fact, I need to realize to appreciate the fact that Jesus demanded to be baptized, I need to appreciate the very fact that those who would not obey John's baptism were not accepted by God. Look over a little bit later in Luke the 7th chapter, if you will. Luke the 7th chapter, we have an example here. In Luke 7, in verse 29 and 30. Luke 7, 29 and 30. In the Pew Bible, uh, that'll be about 913. And he says in 29, And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Isn't that interesting that instead of just saying, oh, they didn't want to be baptized. Here it is clearly stated, they rejected the will of God having not been baptized by John. You know, today, if I would look at everything that God commands and state it back in those same words, it might bring emphasis into my own life of how important it is to obey God. Someone says, well, I I don't really pray the way I should. Do we realize that what we're saying is, I have rejected the will of God when God commands pray without ceasing because I don't pray as I should. Someone says, well, I don't really give as I should. Okay. I have rejected the will of God as he teaches to give as I've been prospered. Well, I'm not really forgiving toward my neighbors. I don't really love my neighbors. I'm not a peacemaker with my neighbor. Okay. I have rejected the will of God. Friends, when God commands something, Our obedience is our submission to His will. Now it makes a little more sense why Jesus would come along and He would say to John, I need you to baptize me. Why? It was the will of God. He wasn't going to be linked together with those individuals that it was obvious they rebelled against the will of God. So when we go back now to to Mark the first chapter and we see there in in verses 9 through 11, the baptism of John, John's baptism of Jesus, we see that 
It makes sense that he would do that. But can you imagine it? There they were, the great outdoors. The Bible doesn't tell us we need to be inside or outside to be baptized. Don't misunderstand me. But any of us that have been a part of outdoor baptisms, there is something special about that. Now, growing up, that's all I knew. When I first came into the cities and saw indoor baptisms, they were special because I'd not been a part of them before. But growing up out in the country where all of our baptisms were outdoor, I think about that feeling that it must have been for Jesus and John to be under the sky, out on the edge of the Jordan. And then, as he's coming up out of the water, it's not just the waters that are parting, but it's the heavens. As the Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove, and the Spirit of God never presented Himself again before or after in the form of a dove that we know of. And He came and He rested upon Jesus. And then the silence of heaven is broken as the Father is involved in this moment also saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you see that we have all three members of the Godhead represented at this moment of baptism? Can you imagine being John at that particular moment, watching Jesus come up out of your arms, watching a spirit come down, the spirit come down in in the form of a dove, listening to hear the voice of God? Friends, what we're studying this morning was an amazing moment in time. Nothing exactly like that has happened before or since. But yet there is something beautiful about that moment to know that as special as this moment was with Jesus and with the Father and with the Spirit, we too are commanded to participate in the Lord's baptism. And so when we think, what was this moment of baptism for Jesus? And then by application, what is the moment of baptism for you and I? First, I'd like for you to think this morning about the fact that this moment of baptism for Jesus was a moment of decision. You see, he was about 30 years old and this marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. This was the time where he made the decision that it was time for him to to break out of this home life and to begin his traveling around Galilee and eventually to Judea to be crucified. And why did he wait until 30? We don't know that. You know, when we think about Jewish tradition, it's interesting to note that a boy became a man at 12 years of age. He was considered a mature man at 30 years of age, and he was considered an older man by the time he was 40. And so with that mindset, maybe there was something about the age of 30 where all of those that would hear him preach and teach, they would have a greater respect for him because at their, by their traditions, he would be considered a mature man at this point. You know, after Jesus was 12 years of age, and we have that recorded in the scriptures, we don't see again the life of Joseph. We believe that he was deceased by the time Jesus died on the cross. Some have simply wondered, did he stay at home until he was the age of 30 because his father had been deceased and he was helping his mother raise the rest of the family? Friends, we don't know exactly why 
There was the wait until 30 for Jesus to begin his public ministry. But we do know this. There was that moment of decision where it was time for that ministry to begin. It was time for him to bid farewell in his normal life with his mother and with his siblings. And it was time for him to go out and he would begin that through baptism. It was a launching out. It was, in a sense, a change of life. And you know, by principle, baptism for you and I today is very similar. It's the time where we launch away from ourselves and we say, I want to give it all over to God. It's a time where we say the life that we've lived in the past, we've put that behind us and we've buried that old life and now we're raised to walk in newness of life. It is a time of decision And if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts, the 24th chapter. The rest of these slides, uh, these passages, we won't have slides for, but I'd like for you to turn to Acts, the 24th chapter. And think about Felix for just a moment. Paul standing before Felix. He's giving the defense of his ministry. And as he's giving the defense of his ministry, he... He is asked to actually talk about his faith. And we pick up in verse 24. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and he heard him concerning faith in Christ. So you have this this scene in mind. We've been hearing that you preach a lot about Christ. We want you to come and we want you to tell us about this life in Christ. And notice what he talked about. There was three points. You know, all good sermons have three points. And notice in 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Think how those three fit together. Paul talked about what was right in the sight of God. But then he talked about point number two, self-control. Are you going to be willing to turn your will over to the Father? Are you going to be willing to discipline yourself to live the will of the Father? It's one thing to intellectually say, I know what is righteous. It's another thing to say, I'll take that righteousness and I'll allow it to transform my life by self-control. I will live what is righteous. Who would do that? Really, who would give up their will to live the will of the Father? Those people that understand point three, the motive is there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day where we're going to long to be on the side of the Father. We're going to long to hear him say, well done, and our life will have an evaluation on that day of judgment by the grace of God. And because we have surrendered our will to him in obeying the righteousness that we're prepared for that day of judgment. Surely at that point, Felix is going to say, I want to become a Christian. I want to make that moment of decision right now. But no, he did what so often is characteristic of our human nature. Look down in verse 25. Notice we have the the sermon of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix was afraid, and he answered, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Can you imagine? that moment of decision and saying I'm just too afraid to do it. In this audience there's probably someone who knows that they need to become a Christian. They need to be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. 
and they can identify with Felix. I want to do it, but I'm afraid. This morning, I want to urge you to never allow fear to define your life. I want you to realize that God gives us the power of love and of a sound mind and of courage. That fear is not a part of what God wants us to be. How many times have we seen individuals not make a decision at that moment of decision and then find themselves years later removed from that fact? You know, I think about one of my friends that told me over and over during a 10-year period of time, I'm going to come back to the Lord. I will. Because I don't want to raise my kids without being in church. I'm going to come back to the Lord. And just every little bit, he seemed to be on the verge of doing that. Now another decade has passed. Now his kids are close to being grown. And he hasn't come back to the Lord. Friends, if you want to play a dangerous game, know what your decision needs to be, but then say, I'm going to wait and do that later. Satan has a way of hardening our heart. Satan has a way of convincing us there will always be a better time. Can you imagine if Jesus would have just stayed at home working in the carpenter's shop while he was 30? I'm going to do that later. I'm going to begin my public ministry later, 31. I'll get around to it later, 32. I'm going to make that decision later, 33. Can you imagine if Jesus would have never made the decision to say, John has begun his ministry. He's a forerunner for me. It's time. It's time for me to make my decision. And thank God. He made that decision. Not only was it a time of decision, but it was also a time of identification. You know, when you look back to the text again there in Mark, did you notice that that even Jesus was identified by the Father as He said, You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. I suppose that John knew clearly who Jesus was. But if he didn't have it 100% confident who he was at his baptism, no doubt John could have been confident at that point. He knew who he was then. He knew that it was time for him to be about public ministry. If you will, look with me over to the book of Acts, the second chapter. And let's think about how baptism identifies us. It's a time where we too take on another identity, if you will. You remember in Acts, the second chapter, when those individuals wanted to know what they needed to do to be forgiven of the sins that they had committed, which most recently was that they had crucified Jesus Christ. 37, they were pricked in their heart and they were told in 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And notice in 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. There's a change in their identity. Now they're forgiven, but now they're a part of somebody. They've been added to 
them. And we skip down to 47 and we see who the them is. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Our identity changes because according to this passage in Acts, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and verse 13, we're baptized into the body which is the church, the body of Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know that at the point of baptism, we become a child of God. We become a member of the Lord's church. You know, it is in baptism that we are baptized into Christ. Galatians 6 and uh, Galatians 3 and 27, Romans 6 and 3. And with that thought of being baptized into Christ, I'd like to read for you very quickly 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Notice he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how did we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Baptism is a, is a time of identification. It was identified who Jesus was at the time of his baptism. And it's a new identity for us. We now are children of God. We now are new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. We now are part of the Lord's church. But not only that, we also see in baptism that it was a time of equipping. What do we mean by equipping? How was it that Jesus was equipped? You know, we've already made mention of this, but let's hear Jesus say it. And we've got to go back to Matthew's account of his baptism. Look, if you will, in Matthew, the third chapter. In Matthew, the third chapter, we read about him going from Galilee to find John in the Jordan to be baptized by him in verse 13. And Matthew 3 and verse 15 Is where we see the baptism, but notice 14. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. That is interesting to note the fact that he says he fulfilled all righteousness. It was the right thing to do and Jesus was going to fulfill that. And when John recognized that that was Jesus' purpose in being baptized, he wanted to equip Jesus with the fact that now he had fulfilled all righteousness. How could Jesus go out and ask individuals to follow the will of the Father if in fact they could have turned around and said, you haven't followed the will of the Father. John has asked everyone to be baptized and you haven't done it. See, now he's fulfilled the will. He's been equipped. And when we think about our responsibility, I think about what Jesus, the terminology that he chose in the Great Commission at the very end of Matthew, the 28th chapter. I want you to listen and or read together Matthew, the 28th chapter and look at verse 19. But I want you to listen, especially for the word make. When we think about being equipped, baptism equips us. I want you to think about Jesus making us, getting us ready for this new life. And notice as he says here in 19, go therefore... And make 
disciples. He's sending the apostles out. He says, I want you to make disciples. Well, how are we going to make disciples? And he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As we think about Jesus literally telling his apostles, I want you to make disciples. And he says, I want you to do it by baptizing them. It's the same kind of terminology, which even is emphasized greater in John, the fourth chapter, when we have a description of Jesus ministry and John's ministry In John four, this is how it says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus knows this, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. That's interesting. Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. But you remember that very next verse, don't you? Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Jesus made and baptized disciples. Jesus really didn't baptize any on his own. He just had his disciples to do that. Do you realize today... If we want Jesus to equip us and work in our life and have the gift of the Spirit, we have to allow Jesus to baptize us. We have to allow Jesus to make us into disciples. No, He's not going to come down and physically put His hands around us and immerse us into the water. But it is His teaching, it is His baptism, it is His will that He can equip His people to have them ready, equipped to have them ready to not only live this life, but to be ready for eternal life by His grace. But finally this morning, I'd like for you to notice the approval. As we think about the words of the Father saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You realize there's only a few times that Jesus broke the silence of heaven. He said this very similar thing at the transfiguration. But you know, if you didn't know that, and I were to ask you, when do you think would be the time that something so great would happen that God would literally break the silence and He would speak down and, and let those involved know, this is my Son? You know, we might guess that, that it would be a, a time when, to me, and, and I know everybody, this is just opinion, I know everybody would have their own opinion. To me, one of the greatest miracles Jesus worked would be calming the storm. If any of you have ever been out of water and, and, and you know how powerful a thunderstorm is and how great the waves are and, and you can imagine experienced men on the water being fearful that their life is going to be lost and you can hear them yelling at each other because the storm is so loud and you can imagine all the darkness and all the fear but yet then the flashes of light and the huge claps of thunder and then Jesus comes walking up on the water and and then also another time, all he has to do is say, peace, be still. And now picture in your mind the water that's smooth and people are relaxed. And it's just a beautiful evening out in the water. That would be a time that I could imagine the father saying, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Or maybe when He raises Lazarus from the dead. That's my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Or maybe after that powerful sermon of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Do not take it lightly that the time the fathers chose to speak up was at Jesus' baptism. Friends, I need to realize that I cannot find the approval of the Father without the waters of baptism. That's His command. As a matter of fact, when we read Mark's account of the Great Commission, Mark speaks of approval and condemnation as he says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. They'll have the approval of God. He who believes not will be condemned. They won't have the approval of God. You know, this time of year, we can't help but think a little bit about football. Gene Stallings, coach for Alabama back in the 90s, And he's a faithful Christian, good man, a man that has done a lot for not only the church, but also for a lot of families. Many of you would know of his son, John Mark, who was born with Down syndrome. And their family was crushed when he was first born, but then... They went on to say that their children, that they have a close relationship with all of them. John Mark blessed their life, brought more joy in their life than any of the other children. They lived to reach the point where they could honestly say we would not change him because he's changed us. John Mark loved Alabama football. Reporter asked him one time, said, John Mark, why is it that you like to see Alabama win so much? John said, It makes daddy happy. You know, there's something special about the Father in heaven looking down at the baptism of his son and giving his approval. You, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Surely there's not a person here that doesn't want to have the approval of your Father in heaven. To know that your life is right with Him. That's exactly what 1 Peter 3 and 21 is speaking of when it says, Baptism doth now save us, and it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh. He says it's the answer of a good conscience. It's being able to say, I know I'm doing the will of my Father. Friends, we're not going to be baptized today and hear the Father break the silence of heaven and say out loud to us, I'm well pleased with you. But just as sure as you're sitting here, you can rest that sure that the Father is well pleased when we obey Him. Studying the life of Christ, we have to study about the baptism of Christ. 
Because when we see all the significance that's tied to it in the scriptures, it was one of the most important events in the life of Jesus. And you ask anybody here who is a mature Christian, what are some of the events that's most important to you? And surely every one of us would say, the day I was baptized into Christ, what an important event. This morning, if you haven't been immersed into Christ, why not make today one of the greatest days of your life? If you have, but yet you've wandered away, won't you come back and seek the approval of the Father again? And if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as